Mother Tongue, a space for the voices and the stories of mamas, because it takes a village to raise a mama. Episode four of the Mother Tongue Podcast, a space where we are uplifting the voices and amplifying the stories of mamas and sharing some of the practices that serve to support us on our mothering journey. Today, I will be sharing another interview from the summit. This one is with Chantal Blake, who is, among other things, a womb steam specialist. And in our conversation, we unpack several ideas around motherhood, including the importance of nourishing self so that we are giving from a full cup, what it means to feel enough as a mother, and how mothering is a revolutionary act as we are raising the next generation of leaders. We will also be touching on sacred sexuality and traditional postpartum practices, including womb steaming. So let's dive in. Hello, mamas, and welcome back to Map for a New Motherhood. I'm here today with Chantal Blake who is a womb steaming facilitator, an educator, and a project manager. And her combined training in practical nursing, environmental engineering, and peri-steam hydrotherapy guides her holistic approach to wellness education that centers around self-care, sacred sexuality, and traditional womb steaming. Chantal currently lives in Oman, where she unschools her two children and serves women through online consultations, workshops, summits, and courses. Welcome, Chantal. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Karina. Yes. So um, I'm curious how you got into the, the womb steaming and um, and I know you, you had, I'm assuming, but I don't know, that the other stuff was before the womb steaming, the, the environmental engineering. Yeah. So I'm curious how that, yeah. that evolved. <laughs> yeah. Well, my mom um, is a nurse. So growing up, I wanted to be just like my mom. So I thought, I'm going to be a nurse too. I'm going to go to the same college. I'm going to be a nurse just like her. And um, so... In New York City, we have a couple of vocational high schools, and I picked a high school that had a nursing program. So I was able to study nursing while finishing my high school degree. And um, at some point, I was just really passionate about medical care and helping people. And I had thought I would be traveling the world and doing medical service, Peace Corps type work Uh um, in different countries. By the time I got to college and started as a pre-med student, I came to realize that the the significant population in the world don't even have drinking, safe drinking water. Right. So I said, okay, this is more important than healthcare. So 
um, it really bothered me and it stayed on my mind and my heart. And I said, I think I have to do something about it. So that led me to environmental engineering. Mm -hmm. um, so that was my next career. And at some point I got married and started traveling and I thought about all the things I wanted to do before becoming a mom. And when motherhood found me <laughs> five years in, I realized like, wow, mothering is a powerful way of changing the world too. Yeah. I had thought these careers were going to be how I'm going to make this huge impact on the world. And um, I had a really deep realization that mothering, you're literally creating the future. You're creating the next generation that's going to uh, hopefully take better care of each other and of the planet and um, of the world. Uh, so then mothering really took me into another place of just realizing the being versus the doing and that aspect of change. And as I was mothering, at some point I came to realize that um, I had some hormonal issues going on. Um, it, there were between my first and second child, um, I had two miscarriages and I was like, I consider myself a pretty healthy person. What's going on? Yeah. And I came to realize like, wow, I've never known how to care for my womb and care for myself hormonally and to honor that. Um, I, you think of diet and health being this one size fits all, but I didn't really realize that women have a unique makeup. We're not just small men. <laughs> we right. have right. A, a cyclical nature. We're very dynamic. And so my own hormonal healing journey um, exposed me to a whole new world of information that I was like, I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse and engineer and no one ever taught me how to take care of my body and how to right. honor my womb. What happened? Yeah. So the, the last piece of the puzzle in my particular hormonal journey, um, at least the, the next uh, piece for me was to actually have body work done. So I had, I got a better understanding of how to feed my myself and to support my hormonal nature um to find balance and you know learned about estrogen dominance and all of these things but i was like i think the last thing i need to do is some actual by body work so i went for a mayan abdominal massage uh -huh. and it starts with a steam and then that was like the start of my personal steaming journey wow. and then when i heard kelly garza on a podcast talking about how um, steaming can help support women after birth, mm -hmm. um, preventing different types of injuries and prolapse. And then I said, aha, this, this is something that I can give to women. So that's how I got into womb steaming. Wow. What a beautiful journey. It's so, so many, um, twists and turns. And just what I, what I hear throughout is just like a really, um, deep connection to your intuition and and knowing mm. like what what you needed to do next and and then just discovering all these incredible modalities to to yeah. support yourself and and then you brought it over time brought that forth to other women and mothers or yeah yes yeah I I primarily um, my my main focus well 
I, I thought that, you know, I primarily want to serve women um, following birth, but as I'm just realizing now, I'm, I'm becoming really impassioned. A new passion is emerging yeah. <laughs> about uh, teenagers, you know, oh. and younger menstruators. So I read a ton, I research a lot, and everyone's saying the same thing. I wish I knew this earlier. Yes. But the research that's coming out about all this great body literacy, cycle syncing, and all this great information is it's being written to adult women. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not being written to teenagers, um, you know, yeah. younger women. So, so that's been my latest, the latest iteration of my passion and my wow. journey is like, how do I get all of this to younger women so yeah. they don't get stuck in this painful period? I hate my body birth control sounds good. And then a decade later, (laughs) right. Realizing, Oh, I was not given full information. So I couldn't have given full consent to what I was signing up for by taking on hormonal birth control. So that's my latest project. (laughs) Wow. So inspiring. I, I have a 13 year old daughter and, um, so I really love that. And I, I have introduced her to steaming. She doesn't have her cycle yet, but she, you know, we've done it a few times and, and awesome. she, yeah, she's like, Oh, this is really relaxing. <laughs> Aww. My daughter is 10 and she can't wait. She's like, I can't wait until my moon cycle. She, even my son, who's almost six, they just love to be around me when I'm steaming. Mm. Uh, when I'm not steaming, they're asking me, when are you going to steam? And they oh, love wow. Playing with my sauna and stool, oh, <laughs> hiding toys in it. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your your journey into motherhood. You said it it there was a way you worded it. It was like it came it came for you or something. Um, that yeah. was. You know, I um my my younger brother is about ten years younger than me, so. I think I naturally assumed a very maternal role with him. My mom always says I'm like a mother hen, like I'm always mothering people, mothering my siblings, mothering my friends. And um, so I never really thought about, I knew that that tendency, that nature was always with me. I I felt like a second mom to my younger brother because he was so much younger. My mom was a bit older. She was around 40 when she had him. And so she was working, she was going back to school. So I felt like he was my test ride (laughs) in in mothering. Um, And um, yeah, at some point I realized like, wow, I've dedicated so much of my time to my academic study what can I do to position myself to be the best at this new career called mothering, you know? Yeah. And um, I wanted to make sure that I mothered from a place of fulfillment. And so I wanted to make sure that I did the things that I felt were important for me to do for my, my own sense of self Mm. uh, before becoming a mom. And so for me, that was traveling, being able to travel without, child initially um being able to pay off my debts was really important to me because I didn't want any pressure to go back into um a traditional professional working life Mm -hmm. once I became a mom I wanted a a bit more financial freedom so it was important for me to be debt-free pay off my student loans 
and um, I just kept ch checking things off of this list <laughs> that I, this little list I had for myself, and and actually, I I don't even think I think it was more of a an awareness that once those 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 goals were met, that I was just open to receiving motherhood. It wasn't a clear, I'm going to do this and then stop doing this. Or I uh -huh. just, once I reached those goals and I knew in my heart that I was ready to invite motherhood and then, then shortly found out I was expecting after then. Mm, wow. You said a couple of things earlier that I really, um, that actually just gave me chills, which was one thing was um, about your beingness, like your presence and, and really understanding how important that was in your mothering. Um, and then the other piece was around, you know, realizing that mothering is actually a revolutionary act. It can be a revolutionary act, right? Because we are, as you said, raising the next generation. And, um, and as such, we are leaders and we are change makers as mothers. But I don't think most of us think of it that way consciously. And mm -hmm. so it's really beautiful to hear you bring voice to that. Um, and I would love to just hear a little bit more about how you, you know, how you um, are leading your children and what, like, what are the, what are the biggest values mm -hmm. that you're wanting to instill? And Yeah, I think uh, uh, firstly was, was just learning to value motherhood. There's not a lot of you know, it's a very thankless job, especially in the early years, you know, yeah. um, and everyone in their judgment, you know, it's, uh, I remember everyone asking me, when are you going to go back to work? When are you going to stop breastfeeding? My family, um, a lot of family pressure. My, my parents are immigrants from Jamaica. So that kind of immigrant mentality, like, okay, opportunities and, you know, um, uh, go for success and having a very fixed definition of success. Yeah. And it really took me to a place of having to reevaluate like my self-worth as a, as a mother who mm -hmm. chose to be at home um, and chose to not earn an income yeah. uh, and, and even other people's assumptions about, well, what that means about power. For some people, money is power. And um, I really had to explore uh, what the value of my role as a mom is and really finding purpose in that. So just valuing motherhood and, and seeing that it is enough, you know, um, I can do other things and that's great, but I don't feel that um, my, my mothering is a reflection of like, I, I lack ambition or I lack, you know, right. intelligence or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just that conscious decision to not be measured by the societal standard of worth and success yeah. for my own measure was was a huge part of just embracing motherhood and just really being able to enjoy it and be present with it, and not figure out what what else can I do to feel worthwhile or what else can I do for people to recognize me, you know. Yeah. So um, just easing into that, I think, is the first hopefully the first, uh, you know, value that I'm imparting to my children, that mothering can be fulfilling and joyful mm -hmm. and it can be enough if that is your path and, and yeah. that's the path that you want. It can be enough. Um, 
And then also in our upbringing, the way that my husband and I choose to raise our children, just to really be centered on, on uh, values and conscientiousness. So the choice to unschool even has really been a way for us to focus on character development mm-hmm. more than genius development. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, right. You right. Know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of pressure there as well. People yeah. think, oh, aren't you concerned about um, grade levels and exams and college one day? And uh, I feel like in the early formative years, there's so much hard work to be done um, and really raising emotionally intelligent and resilient children is really important to me. Um, Raising children who are environmentally aware and um, socially compassionate and empathetic. And so really focusing on that, on those values has, I think those are some of the core principles of um, how we're changing the future. Yeah. Wow. So powerful. How, how did you get into unschooling? Well, you know, that you just never went to school. <laughs> okay. So it wasn't, you didn't have, you didn't go to school and then transition. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think I would have been a great uh, unschooling and homeschooling candidate when I was a child, but that wasn't available to me. Um, yeah. But I think I just kept staying home. Like I, I just kept <laughs> on, I was just like, mm, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to hire someone else to care for you when I want to be the one um, caring for you and influencing you. And I think early on, because I became a mom here in Oman, um, I was, I had some concerns that uh, maybe locally and culturally people wouldn't understand the values that I wanted to impart to my child, like the dietary values, like we're a plant-based family. So Mm -hmm. there was a certain amount of, oh, well, people understand that and respect the way we choose to eat. Um, I don't, I, you know, really tried to practice, I tried to practice positive parenting and I saw a lot of very um, different, (laughs) you know, disciplinary styles uh, that I, you know, a lot of comparison and shaming and blaming, which is not unique to here, of course, but Um, I just saw these disciplinary styles and behavior management styles that I didn't, they didn't speak to me, that I didn't find them to be healthy or what we wanted for our children. So I think it became this way of just reinforcing the the values that we felt really strongly about. And I just kept staying home, kept staying (laughs) home. and, And then, yeah, school age came, I guess school age came and and went and, you know, Mm -hmm. we're still home and and able to really unfold into the day. I think that's been the biggest gift I've been able to give my children and myself (laughs) is that, Mm -hmm. you know, the freedom to, to um, unfold into the day in a way that feels um, peaceful and restful and not rushed or um, pressured by other people's schedules, other people's agendas. Yeah. So it's, it's been liberating. I, I, I believe that this, uh, this will be a liberating experience for them to really hold on to and carry with them 
whatever else happens in their path. But certainly for me, I, I don't know how people do the morning crazy school. I, I guess yeah. you adapt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I've mostly done homeschooling or been part of like homeschool cooperatives. So I haven't really done much of the teaching. Um, and then in the last, since, since we moved up to Tennessee in September, I've shifted more into unschooling. Um, except my oldest daughter, she's, she's very structured. She likes a lot of structure. So she's, she's doing a, um, online virtual school. Um, but I, I also, I love that about unschooling, just, you know, being going to follow your own, um, your, what your body wants in the moment and, and let your day unfold, like you said. So without a lot of like rush and structure and, yeah. Yeah. And I think even just the medicine of rest is so neglected, you know, um, Absolutely. alarm clocks and getting kids up so early. And I mean, sometimes before you even realize they're sick, they just need more rest and it can change the, uh, you know, the, the, the recovery right. or even the extent to which they get sick. So I think uh, rest and, and peace <laughs> are valuable. Are valuable, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What would you say your biggest struggle in motherhood has been? Other than the, the earlier years of, you know, still trying to figure out how to um, reassess my self-worth after, as I said earlier, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, it's the doubting and the uh, wanting to be another type of mom sometimes mm-hmm. or thinking that, oh, I, I wish I was the crafty mom or I wish mm-hmm. I was the, the baking mom type. And, and um, it's taken me time to realize that, you know, the being the authentic mother that I am is much more sustainable <laughs> for all of us. Yeah. And, um, and it's just truer, you know, um, and, and I'm, and especially as my kids get older, I'm realizing I don't have to be all things for them all the time. Like there can be other adults in their orbit who fulfill those needs for them. If it's a true need, sometimes we just imagine like, oh, a, a proper homeschooling or unschooling mom is this prototype and when you don't feel like you fit that prototype you're like trying to stretch yourself to fit and there's always room for growth and I just find it more fulfilling to learn with my children and grow with them as opposed to putting on a front that I've got this uh, certain um, skill or personality that's not true to me you know like instead of forcing myself to be that kind of mom that I'm not I'd rather just grow with them and authentically be the mom that I am. And that has taken some time, you know, that that's something that it kind of comes and goes in waves. Like sometimes I'm really confident that, you know, we're all happy, things are going well. And sometimes it's just some, something in your mind or another person in your ear, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? And you have to kind of come back to that center. Yeah. So just the staying centered part and, being true and authentic and in the way I parent and in the way that um, we live and and learn together. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm hearing that just really seeing a theme and of authenticity and in all that you do. And it's, it's, that's really, I feel like at the heart of this idea of the mother fly, this archetype of um, really knowing yourself first and foremost and, and um, having a regular 
way that you care for yourself, even though you are mm-hmm. a mom. And I, I know you spoke yeah. of that early on in our yeah. talk today. What are your, some of your favorite forms of self-care? Um, I'm learning that boundaries around my time are really important. Yeah. Um, getting more comfortable with saying no to opportunities that don't feel well aligned. Yeah. And, and that's taken a while, um, especially like when I, I made a shift for there was a period of time where I was doing freelance writing. And I remember being so hungry for a byline or to be to have my name on someone's website. And again, that still trying to find that validation, that external validation. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember at a certain point realizing opportunities were starting to come to me instead of me chasing them and then realizing that, oh, but this doesn't feel like it's in alignment with what I care about and what I'm passionate about. You know, I, there are things that I could do, but I don't want to do. (laughs) And, And giving myself permission to turn down opportunities or offers um, that don't feel in alignment with how I want to use my time and my energy yeah. So that's been a newer frontier of self-care. Um, definitely rest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Safeguarding rest. I don't know. In especially early mothering, I did not see rest as an act of self-care. And uh-huh. um, I didn't prioritize getting enough of it. I mean, you have your natural challenges, but then we also have our imagined priorities of being able to be on social media or so you know stay up later and do different things um so now I'm 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 getting older I'm appreciating rest and self-care um and uh just being really intentional about feeding myself well and Mm -hmm. um, my period care you know steaming and um resting so I think those are I'm not a big um go I don't do like retail therapy I'm not a big go out and spend kind of person yeah but I will say <laughs> that I realize it took me some time to realize it that I need to stay connected to my relationships and my friendships as a huge part of self-care I used to feel like oh let me just put together these play dates because my kids need to play with other kids and I realized I wasn't giving my per- myself permission to say, look, I want a play date. <laughs> I right, want to right. be with my friends. And so, and that was easier as they got older. When they were a little less dependent on me, I can ring up a friend and say, you know, can we go for lunch or can we take a walk? And so, yeah, yeah having older children now, that's a, a newer form of self-care that I'm really enjoying is just going on dates again with, mm-hmm. with people I like to spend company with other than my partner. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And would you say that you have um, a village that that you've created that supports you or is it more just mm-hmm. a few select, like is it, do you feel like there's a community aspect in, in your life? There is, and it's been challenging because, you know, I've, I've lived in different countries and a couple of countries I only lived in for one year. So um, in those, in those States in those circumstances, I used to really rely on, um, I guess, the virtual connection with some of my good friends that um, that I have. So we're scattered about, but 
um, having to really call on them every once in a while just to, to feel that sense of connection. But here where I live now, I've lived here for the last four years. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I have been able to create some semblance of a village, people that I trust enough to let in, yeah. um, to ask for help. And so, yeah, I would say I have a, I have a small village. It's still, the virtual village is actually a, a very strong part of it. I have some dear old friends and we only talk like once a year, but it like feeds me yeah. <laughs> for months. Yeah. yeah. So there's still the backdrop of those like anchors in my mm-hmm. sisterhood. But um, locally, I do do feel like I have a, a semblance of, of a village. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so um, do you work one-on-one with people with the holistic health coaching or you do mostly courses? Tell us a little about that. Yeah, I think most of, you know, when I, when I started um, with womb steaming and, and, con- and what, and consultations, I, I thought it was going to be a mostly in-person business with uh-huh. workshops and markets and, and that's how it started. And then around March, everything changed of last year. Right. So, right. um, so I was kind of propelled into a more virtual business. Uh-huh. And, uh, so yeah, I mostly do one-on-one consultations and workshops, classes all online. Um, that's mostly what I do. Yeah. Most of my projects are, are online now. I do miss really sitting with women. Um, mm-hmm. That was a really tender part of um, what my business started out as being yeah. able to go to women's homes and set up steaming for them and and really give them that active service and and care and yeah. just to sit with them while they steam and then they sh- they just open up and share you know mm-hmm. how they mm-hmm. feel and. Um, that was a, those, I definitely treasure that. And I would like to, I would like for that to be a reality in the future again, maybe small group sessions, yeah. private sessions, but for now it's mostly one-on-one virtual. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Everything has changed into a more mm-hmm. virtual reality. Um, yeah. And so is uh, esteeming something that uh, is a practice of the culture there or how have, how have women received it if it's not great question um it seems like it was more of a a distant part of the culture here okay so i've had to um, one thing that was really important to me after certifying in vaginal steaming was to really figure out how to present it in a way that was culturally compatible yeah Um, I, i really didn't want to import american herbs i wanted to research local herbs and in researching local herbs and and talking with local herbalists, um, they did say that yes, there is a practice of steaming here. Um, sits baths after birth are more common. Okay. It doesn't seem like steaming is done as oft as as commonly in this generation as well as the previous generation. But but people who have held to plant medicine all this time and didn't just transition to Western medicine with the development of the country, uh-huh. people who they they seem to still be aware that this can be done after your menstrual site after your menstrual period after birth. Um, so. I've been trying to kind of revive <laughs> the practice, though the way that I do it is different than how they've done it in the past. Usually they just have a set 
recipe of herbs that, that okay. doesn't really change much. Uh-huh. Um, so it, there is a connection here. There's also a large uh, Swahili community here. In East Africa, there's still a bit more awareness about steaming too. So that's been an advantage. And I've also have really needed to brand it more so as womb steaming as opposed to vaginal steaming. Uh-huh. So it translates better here. Yeah. So it's been well received for the most part, but I think people are still trying to figure out how to assess the value of what I'm giving them. Uh-huh. So even if they hear that it's helpful, um, there's still a sense of like, how do I assess the cost or the value uh-huh. of the service? Yeah. And that's what I'm finding is, is challenging. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, hold on a second. Pause for. Sure. So um, the the third annual survey from Motherly just came out on the state of motherhood in the U.S. and you know it's it's pretty bad. You know, but the the uh, it was said ninety seven percent of moms are feeling some degree of burnout, mm-hmm. and eighty four I believe eighty four percent or so feel unsupported by society. And then, of course, we have very high rates of perinatal mood disorders. So I'm just curious what it's like over there. Yeah, that's a good, I would love to see similar numbers here. Um, There still is a tradition of new moms, even if it's not their first child. um, There's a tradition after birth of going to either the mother, usually the mother's home for the 40-day uh-huh. Uh, sacred window, the 40 days of postpartum. So that's still practiced here. And I'm sure that helps with yeah. um, mood disorders. I do know that some of the more, maybe the more cosmopolitan mothers who are living in the city, maybe not as connected to their home uh, communities or villages that they originated from. Mm-hmm. I, I, knew, I know that sometimes it feels isolating for them because they're either resisting that tradition or they don't have access to it because maybe they live too far from um, their moms or their like their original kind of the village home. Yeah. Um, but I'm really concerned about the rate of induction here. So in the women that I work with who are using vaginal steaming to prepare for labor, Mm-hmm. I'm more often than not, I'm told they're being uh, pressured for inductions before their due date, or there's this fear around passing the due date or having too big of a baby. I'm not sure where yeah. it's coming from, Yeah. but more mothers than not end up having cesareans. Mm-hmm. And that concerns me very deeply because I feel like it reinforces a belief that women's bodies are broken that we don't know how to birth anymore and that we cannot birth without machines and technology and, um, you know, medical care professionals inserting themselves into our bodies in some way or another. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That concerns me. Um, I do feel like maternity leave is very consistent here for, for working moms. Um, There is an expectation that, um, they'll they'll have paid maternity leave. They'll still have their job waiting for them. So I, for working moms, I think there's good support in that sense. Yeah. 
um, there's job security there, you know, it, and it's culturally, it's, it's very normative. Families are quite large here traditionally as well. Uh-huh. So generally, I feel like there's still a reverence for birth and an yeah. honoring of birth, which is good. Um, and like I said, I'm just concerned about the method of birth. Um, it's yeah. been really, that might be, that might be my next project. Your next project, <laughs> right, right. Well, it's good to hear that those postpartum traditions are still in place. You know, I'm sure yeah. there's been some, maybe some diluting of them or they're not happening as much yes. in the cities, but, but it's, yeah, it's, I think that's so important. I feel like the postpartum time is so under, underestimated and under supported. Yeah. 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 I mean, in the, in the, the worst case scenario, the moms are getting 40 days of rest without cooking or cleaning cleaning and having someone care for them, um, which is like a luxury. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, that's the, the worst case. That's, that's, that's the worst case scenario. Okay. I feel like there is a there. I feel like there is a, a slight loss of like the actual healing modalities. So like okay. the body work, um, there's still a good awareness about herbs and certain foods for, for, for postpartum. That awareness is still present, yeah. but um steaming, binding, um, pelvic floor work, body work. I feel like there's definitely a need to, to draw more attention to like the actual healing treatments for the mother that, that should happen after birth. But even in their, like I said, worst case scenario is still a luxury compared to, to many women in other parts of the world. So not too bad. Yeah. And is that part of your work, um, just bringing more awareness to these practices? Is that part of the, like, your courses or the, or the education that you provide one-on-one um, is yeah. educating? Yeah, the steaming, the steaming is that gateway, you know. Um, it's the gateway into that conversation. So it's something that I talk quite a bit about and try to offer, even though I'm not, I don't consider myself a I don't feel like it's my calling to provide that service of like the actual postpartum doula role or the masseuse or what have you, but I'm trying to open that conversation with steaming. And I also sell, um, I sell traditional belly binds and trying to at least provide the products that will start the conversation. Right. Okay. And where can people find you? Oh, um, <laughs> mostly online. Uh, so most of the work that I do around steaming is on my Instagram page at Honored Womb, H-O-N-O-U-R-E-D-W-O-M-B. You know, it's uh, British English is, is used okay. here, so Honored <laughs> with a U. Okay. Um, and then uh, there's also a women's course that I teach uh, at Deeper Feminine. And so that's a course that's centered around holistic self-care and sacred sexuality. Um, and those are the main ways. Yeah, social media is probably the, the two main ways to, to find me. Okay. Well, I'll be sure to include those, those in the notes. Um, you. And you reminded me of something that I wanted to ask you about before uh-huh. we end. Um, which is just, yeah, the sacred sexuality piece, because I feel like, you know, sexuality and motherhood are like these, these things that don't go together according to mm-hmm. society um, yeah. and culture in many, in many places. So curious um, what, what your work is with that. 
Yeah, that's that's mostly been virtual too. Um, I don't. It's a course that's mostly in English. It is all in English, and so most of the uh, women who participate in that course have been from the U.S. and the U.K. primarily. Some from Australia, and the vision for that was just reimagining what holistic sex education could look like. That really was. Um, centered around health and wellness and like an, an anchored sense of femininity for one's own self, not like performative uh -huh. womanhood or like relationship womanhood, but just how do you really harness uh, wellness and vitality and seeing sexuality as a natural extension of just being well and vital and whole and embodied. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's it's such an important part. A lot of the women in that course, I would say mostly most of the women are between 25 and 35. Some are married, some are not, some are mothers, some aren't. But the goal and the vision has always been just to um, really have a fuller definition of of um, our femininity, you know, and and not just seeing it as a role that's that serves someone else. Yeah. But as a as a part of our identity, that's yeah, that's that's big and beautiful and and wholesome and not shameful and not, you know, uh, a weakness. I think that's right. a really important yes. part of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that was um, that was the big focus of last year. We had a online summit of almost 2000 women from around the world who. Wow who joined our Sacred Sexuality Summit. And so hopefully the vision for our next summit is to focus on teens and um, how we can engage them in, um, you know, body literacy and um, just holistic wellness and period care. And I'm really concerned about our, our younger menstruators. Yeah. So that summit is going to be specifically for teens? Yes. Or, yeah. Oh, wow. I definitely yeah. want to know about that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, thank you so much. This has been really rich and I uh, appreciate your time and, and you sharing your wisdom and your light with us. And is there anything else that you'd like to share with the mamas tuning in before we go? Um, well, this, if, uh, well, I think, uh, I don't know if this will be after the summit, it's probably will be after the summit goes live, but on, on my main page by Chantal Blake is where I kind of hone in everything that I'm doing. So the workshops that I do for teens, okay. um, the, the classes that I do for women, um, yeah, too many, too many pages. <laughs> I'm trying to streamline that. <laughs> so it's ChantalBlake.com or? Uh, by Chantal Blake is my social media Instagram. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you'll send it to me and I'll put it in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> thank All you. right. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. And thank you for, thank you for hosting this summit. It's much need, much needed. Yes. My pleasure. All right. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and took away something new, some gems from Chantal. Be sure to check her out at the links provided in the show notes. And if you're curious about womb steaming and what it can do for you or any of her other services, check her out at deeperfeminine.com. 
All right, until next time, be well. Thank you.